Amen. Hear the call of the kingdom. Well, this morning, I'd like to draw your attention to what Paul preached about in Rome for an entire day. An entire day. Yes, what spoke about from what Paul spoke about from morning till evening. I want to bring to you in less than an hour. This will be a challenge. Actually, today's sermon will cover not just what Paul preached about in a whole day, um, one day in Rome. It will also cover what Paul preached about for two whole years while he was under house arrest in Rome. If we could summarize Paul's preaching for two whole years in Rome, in that great capital, that great empire of, of antiquity, how we could summarize what he preached about for two years? What did Paul speak for, for two whole years? What, he, what was he trying to convince people about? Well, let's uh, open to the book of Acts, chapter 28, to find out the answer to that question. Acts 28, we will be reading from verse 23 to verse 31. But actually, to get context, I'll start reading in verse 17. If you did not bring your Bible this morning, I encourage you to find a Bible provided in the chair in front of you. It's a black Bible. Uh, You may find our passage on page number 937 and encourage you to keep your Bibles open to this text as we continue uh, this morning through our sermon series in the book of Acts. Acts 28. You're reading from verse 17 to 31. Here's the word of the Lord for us this morning. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because of the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed the day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. 
lest they, sh- lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you that you have revealed to us your salvation, the salvation of God. Father, this morning as we seek to hear a message about that salvation once again, we pray, would you give us your Holy Spirit? Would you open eyes and open ears so that we may see and hear? Father, protect our hearts from growing dull. Lord, we pray that our hearts and and minds would be focused openly to hear a word from you. By your Holy Spirit, by the presence of your Holy Spirit among us, Almighty God, shine the light of Christ on our hearts. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, friends, as we look at this ending of Acts, of the book of Acts, notice, notice where Luke places his emphasis. Look at the passage. Look at the verses we've read. And specifically look at the last two verses of of what we read, of of the book of Acts. The last two verses. Could you tell me what is the time frame that the last two verses cover in the book of Acts? The last two verses of Acts, how much time do they cover? About two years. Two verses, two years. That's pretty easy. It's amazing. Two verses, two years. Now look at verse 23. From verse 23 to verse 29, we have seven verses. How much time is covered by Luke in these seven verses? Look at verse 23 all the way to 27, to 29. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And Luke describes for us from verse 23 to verse 29 what Paul spoke in one day. Now, can you compare two verses, two years, seven verses, one day? Do you see where Luke is sort of like putting the emphasis in one day of those, of that last two years that we have recorded in the book of Acts. We get the most focus in this passage. So therefore, if I'm going to preach on this passage, the right emphasis should be, what happened on that day? What was so significant about that one day in in, in this ending of the book of Acts? It's huge. Huge stuff. Huge emphasis that that, that, that Luke gives. Actually, the things that that happened on that day are so important that, friends, we will only cover half of them today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep the second half of what happened in that day for next Sunday. This morning, we will simply look at 
what did Paul speak about? What was his overall message? By God's grace, if the Lord does not call us home, or if the Lord does not return by next Sunday, hopefully we'll be back here, and we will look at the response the Jews had, and specifically how Paul interprets their response and their rejection of the message by using a prophecy from the prophet of Isaiah from the Old Testament. We'll look at that next week. By God's grace, notice, notice what exactly Paul is speaking of that morning, that day, from morning till evening. Look, look, at, the, look at the setting of that day. They had a, verse 23, they had appointed a day for him. They came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. Who are those who came in greater numbers? They're the Jews. The Jews in Rome. Paul asked to speak to them earlier in verse 20. As a matter of fact, Paul told them why Paul came to Rome in chains and why he gathered them, why he wanted to speak to them. Look at verse 20. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Notice what the Jewish leaders said to Paul in verse 21 and 22. That we have received no letters from Judea about you, None of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. It's interesting. It's interesting to see what, that even if the Jews in Rome did not hear anything bad about Paul, they've heard many bad things about Christianity. Since they've heard many bad things about Christianity, it's amazing that they're willing to listen to Paul. It's amazing that they're, they're willing to give him a fair trial, a fair listening. And it's amazing that they came on that day, on that appointed day, that they came in greater numbers. Friends, there are many times when we are called to speak to people who have heard bad things about Christianity. Rightly or wrongly, we too find ourselves often in contexts where those who are in front of us are people who may have heard a lot of bad things about Christianity. So what will you do? Will you keep your mouth shut? Will you say, I don't have a chance with this crowd that already has so many things that preconceived ideas about Christianity. Will you open your mouth? The Apostle Paul chose to speak to them and chose to clarify to them the truth of God. This was Paul's context of that special day. The people that came to him had a preconceived idea that Christianity was already spoken against everywhere. So how does Paul proceed speaking to such a crowd? Well, let's, let's look at a few things about this day when Paul spoke to a crowd who already had preconceived ideas about Christianity being spoken against. Um, three things I'd like to look at. By the way, if you like taking notes, I'm going to give you a hint. Uh, there's going to be three points. The first point and the third point will be very short. The middle will be very long. So just an FYI. Um, don't think that the points are equally divided this morning. But here's the first point, short point. Notice the approach that Paul used on that day. Notice the approach. 
Paul expounded the truth. Look at verse 23, the second half. From morning till evening, he expounded to them. Now, I want to just pause there on this verb, expounded. The idea of expounding can also be translated as conveying information by careful elaboration. Conveying information by careful elaboration. In other words, Paul took time to explain carefully and clearly. The greatest need these Jews had was for a plain explanation of the essence of Christianity. What was this sect truly about? What was at the heart of the Christian message, especially since this crowd was a Jewish crowd? This is what Paul will seek to expound and explain carefully. Friends, sometimes people think that religious experience is just a feeling or it's just an experience. No, no doubt that Christianity includes our feelings. That Christianity is a real experience. No doubt. Friends, these experiences and feelings happen as a result only of understanding the truth of God's revelation. Outside of, of understanding God's revelations, our feelings and our experiences are actually dangerous. And the truth of God must be expounded. It must be explained carefully. It must be explained clearly. It must be explained logically. If anyone will understand the message of Christianity, they must hear it explained and expounded. Sometimes Christians think today that uh, we can communicate the message of Christianity without words. Simply by living. Well, friends, let me say this. It is true that if all you communicate is words and your life does not match what you say, you are being under the risk of being charged with hypocrisy. Rightly so. If we speak the message of Christianity and we don't live it and we don't back it up by our own life and our life reflects that, that message, we actually subvert, we actually undermine the entire Christian message. But friends, just because we must bring up and back up the Christian message with our life and with our, with our way of living in, a, in, in light of God's truth does not mean that you can speak or communicate the Christian message without words. You just can't. You might be a great example to someone, but all people will see is a very moral person, a very, very moral citizen of this nation, a very good citizen, just living a good life alone, just communicating the Christian message without words. It's not enough. We cannot communicate what Christianity is about without using words, without explaining and expounding God's truth. I mean, can you imagine if Paul's approach back on that day with that crowd of Jews would have been, well, let me just teach you about Jesus by the way I live. It would have made no sense. There would be nothing intelligible or really communicable. Paul had to use words. 
we have to use words. If we're going to make the truth of Christianity plain and explain it clearly and expound it clearly. The message of Christianity must be explained and taught. We don't want to manipulate people's emotions or feelings or try to sell them a religious package or a religious product or religious insurance for their souls. Paul's choice on that day was to engage this crowd, this Jewish crowd, in careful explanation of God's truth. And he took, friends, it took all day. From morning till evening. Now, I know, and I've, I've been encouraging all of you to have gospel conversations in 60 seconds, know how to have a gospel presentation in 60 seconds, the conversation that you can have in an elevator. And, and we should know that. We need to be able to speak the gospel clearly, succinctly, shortly, and, and get it to the point so that when we have even a short period of time, we can say it clearly and to the point. But I also want to encourage you something else. I want to encourage you to be able to speak the gospel in a whole day. To be able to speak the gospel from morning till evening. Can you imagine? Uh, there's not going to be a test for that, by the way. It's not a requirement to be a member of this church. Uh, to, to be able to speak the gospel from morning to evening. I'm not, we're not going to ask you that. Although we do ask you to be able to say the gospel in 60 seconds. That is something we ask you before you join this church. Because we, we want to make sure you understand clearly and succinctly. But also what Paul is doing here, he's expounding it from morning till evening. If you're a Christian, I want to encourage you this morning to grow in the desire to know how to explain and expound the message of Christianity, both shortly but also in a longer time. So that if, if God labels you and allows you to speak to someone longer, you are able to speak about His truth clearly and faithfully. It's not enough simply to show it with your life. You must explain it. So that's what the first point. Paul's approach is that he expounded the truth. But then notice the content. Notice what exactly Paul expounded. Notice the content of what he sought to explain. This content is found in the second part of verse 23. Testifying to the kingdom of God. And trying to convince them about Jesus both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Did you notice the content of what Paul spoke from morning till evening about the kingdom of God and about Jesus? Arguing for Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. Friends, let's look at both of these elements, the kingdom of God and the news about Jesus. Let's look at each of these briefly. Paul's message, if we could summarize Paul's message in one sentence, it had these two elements, the kingdom of God and Jesus. Now, the kingdom of God was not new in Paul's message. It was not new for the apostles. It was not even new for Jesus. Do you remember how Jesus began his preaching ministry? In the book of Mark, in chapter 1, the evangelists, um, writes how Jesus began his preaching ministry. Here are the words how Jesus began speaking. His very few words of preaching, his, his official preaching ministry. Acts 1, 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, what? The time is fulfilled 
and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And then many of the parables of Jesus, especially in Luke's gospel, many of the parables were parables of the kingdom. In one of his conversations with a high-level ruler by the name of Nicodemus, Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Actually, the phrase, the kingdom of God, is used about a hundred times in the four Gospels, primarily in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Mark. After Jesus resurrected from the dead, he went and appeared to his disciples. You know what he was teaching them? between the time of his resurrection and his ascension in Acts chapter 1. By the way, turn to Acts 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. He, Jesus, says, presented himself alive to them, to the disciples, after his sufferings, suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking about what? about the kingdom of God. Actually, it's not a coincidence, dear friends, that this is how Acts begins, with the teaching of the resurrected Jesus about the kingdom of God. And now Paul, on this special day with the Jews, is expounding to them about what? About the kingdom of God. And then for two whole years, look at the last two verses of, of the book of Acts. For two whole years, what does Paul teach about? About the kingdom of God. In other words, the message of the gospel is a message about the kingdom of God. Friends, if you had to talk about the kingdom of God, what would you say? What could you talk about for 40 days, in the case of Jesus, with his disciples, about the kingdom of God? What would you talk about for a whole day with the Jews about the kingdom of God? What would you talk about for two whole years in Rome about the kingdom of God? The entire, the essence of Christianity is about the kingdom of God. What would you say about the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Well, first of all, it's not just a place. It is a place, but it's not just a place. The kingdom of God is not just something that happens to us after death. It's not just a timing. No. The kingdom of God has something to do with the here and now. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. The kingdom of God is the rule of God. So when you think about what is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is more than just a place. It's an action. The exercise of the reign of God. That's the action of the kingdom of God. Now it's very true that, that where the reign of God is exercised, where the reign of God is manifested, there you have the kingdom of God. It's very true. The Lord's Prayer, which we, we, we read earlier in the service, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Now, what exactly does that mean for his kingdom to come? Well, Jesus tells us what it means. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God, friends, is not just a place. It's the realm where the will of God is manifested without any rebellion. So when you think about the kingdom of God, 
don't just think about a place like heaven, or don't just think about a time like after death or eternity. Think about an action, the reign of God, the rule of God. And the great part about that is that that kingdom of God or that element about God's kingdom has already come among us. The people in whom the reign of God is exercised are people of his kingdom. How do we know that someone is a part of the kingdom of God? Will they have a badge? Will they have a passport, an ID card? How will you know if someone is a citizen of the kingdom of God? By seeing the reign of God in their own lives. By seeing them live out their life as citizens of the reign of the kingdom of the rule of God. And friends, the church is a place where the people of the kingdom put on display that reign of God. They show together in community what the great reign of God looks like. That's why, friends, to belong to the church is a big deal. It's not just about a name on a roster. It's not just about having some sort of tradition and, and being affiliated with a community of people just because you've always done it. It's about taking an active stand and commitment along with other Christians of what it means to live under the reign of God. When you live together as a body of Christ, when we live together as Christians in community, friends, we are putting a display of the reign of God and what it looks like in this world. There's no other place on planet Earth where the reign of God is to be manifested more clearly and more, more, more faithfully than in the church. That's why when Christians choose to live on their own terms, when Christians choose to live in sin or in disunity, or, or when they choose to live isolated lives from other Christians, they're failing to show what the reign of God is like. Friends, the entire book of Acts this book that speaks so much about the life of the church begins and ends with this theme of the reign of God, of the kingdom of God. But notice something else about Paul's message. Not only about the reign of God, not only about the kingdom of God. If that's all Paul said, the Jews would have had no problem with it. If all that, Jew, that, that Paul spoke about was about the kingdom of God, just about as, as his reign, and stopped there, Jews would have happily embraced him on that day. But the message of Paul included something else, a very important element about the reign of God. This reign of God is manifested and is actually brought about through Jesus. That's a big deal about the kingdom of God. That's, that's a the big deal about Paul's message Luke, from the very beginning of his gospel, tells us that the kingdom of God comes through Jesus. Did you remember the passage read earlier, the Christmas passage? The message of the angel to Mary? How the angel spoke about this baby that will be born? Says, Behold, you will conceive in your room and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now you think, if that's all it is, it's just that's the kingdom of Israel. But no. It says, of his kingdom 
there will be no end. This is an eternal kingdom. Luke wanted to emphasize that entrance in the kingdom of God is through Jesus and through His life, death, and resurrection. Remember Jesus was on the cross and uh, two of the criminals had a little dialogue with Jesus. One of them wanted to accuse Jesus and if you truly are the Son of God, why don't you save yourself and then save us as well? And the other, one of the other criminals said in Luke 23, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to him? Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Luke wanted to connect that entrance into the kingdom of God is by identifying that Jesus is the king of his kingdom. He came to bring a kingdom. And it's amazing that the criminal on the cross, he's asking Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He believed that Jesus is the entry into that kingdom. He believed that Jesus is the king of that kingdom. Throughout the book of Acts, we see the apostles connecting this news about the kingdom of God with the news about Jesus and his death and his resurrection. The message of Jesus included not only a message about his death on the cross, but also his resurrection from the grave and his physical ascension to the Father. Now, it's amazing how Paul tried to convince these Jews about Jesus. What did he use? I want you to think about Paul. He could have spoken about his Damascus Road experience. He could have spoken to these Jews about his experience of Jesus. And oh my goodness, what a testimony that was. I mean, you think that if, if the Apostle Paul would have come here today, we would have, what we would have loved to hear from him is to tell us about the what? About the Damascus Road experience. Give us a testimony, right? And you think that he would, he would try to convince these Jews by, by speaking about his Damascus Road experience. But that's not what Luke tells us Paul did. Look at what Paul does. Where did Paul look when he, see, when he sought to convince the Jews about Jesus? The law of Moses and the prophets. Think about that. If you had to choose to speak about Jesus from your own testimony or to speak about Jesus from the Word of God, which one would be more powerful? Which one do you think would be more effective? Which one would you do? Paul chose to speak about Jesus to these Jews and try to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. From the Old Testament. You know why? Because it's a word of God. God spoke it. And His word is more powerful than our experience of it. 
His word alone is more powerful than our own experience of it. So if, if Paul had to choose between his testimony and, and speaking about Jesus from the Old Testament, he chose the Old Testament. Friends, this should give us a great caution today. When we sometimes think that a personal testimony is more powerful than the Word of God, a personal testimony, we think, might be more appealing or more relevant than simply speaking the Word of God. A personal testimony may feel more tangible to us. Friends, it is not more powerful than the Word of God. Remember the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? That Jesus gave. And uh, the rich man asked, if he realized where his destiny, where he arrived, he asked, he asked Abraham to, if he can't do anything about reaching down and, and helping him out, at least for Abraham to send someone to his brothers who are still alive on earth. And to tell them about this horrendous place where this rich man got to. So that these brothers would not get to the same place. Remember the story, Right? And what does Abraham tell? What does Jesus say in the parable about his brothers? They have Moses and the prophets. If they're not willing to listen to them, they will not listen even if someone were to rise from the dead. Talk about that experience and personal testimony. In other words, Jesus says very clearly, if they're not willing to listen to Moses and the prophets, to the Word of God, even if they were to encounter someone rising from the dead, they would still not believe. If the heart is set on refusing the word of God, then even the experience of someone rising from the dead will not convince them to change their minds. And the sad reality is that Jesus did rise from the dead. He did come to them. He did appear before them. And many of the Jews still chose to refuse. That's why when Paul argues about Jesus here, his focus is to show who Jesus is by going to the law of Moses and the prophets. Why? Because the law of Moses and the prophets is the Word of God, which God spoke through human agents, and that alone is sufficient to speak to us, even from the Old Testament. Wow. Friends, could you speak about Jesus by starting from the Old Testament? I want to give you a challenge. I want to give you a challenge. Think about ways you could start talking about Jesus by starting with the Old Testament. Where would you start? You could start in Genesis 3. You could go to Leviticus. You could, for, you could go to Exodus. You could go to Leviticus. You could go to the prophets. Isaiah 53 is a great place to go. There's so many places in the Old Testament we could go to. I don't have time this morning. You would stay here until evening if I gave you a long list of examples of how you could start with Jesus from the Old Testament. Well, that's what Paul did. It took all day long. I want to encourage you. Think about ways you could get to Jesus by starting with the Old Testament. Your friends, you know what Paul is doing. When he's trying to argue about Jesus from the Old Testament, He's connecting the message about, the, about Jesus to the expectations for the kingdom of God. 
He's arguing that the expectations for the rule of God, for the dominion of God, for the kingdom of God that have been foretold in the Old Testament are actually connected with Jesus even in the Old Testament. The kingdom of God was coming on earth through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the only way for people to respond to God's kingdom is by responding to God's anointed king, the promised Messiah, the Christ, who is Jesus. Colossians 1.13, Paul says, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, there's another challenge for us today. Some people today like to think about the message of the gospel by focusing only on one of the two elements. Either you focus on the idea of the kingdom of God, or you focus on the idea of Jesus. Paul does them both. And that's the point here. That Paul brings the idea of the kingdom of God and the, the message about Jesus, he brings them together. Some focus only on, only on the kingdom of God. They don't talk much about Jesus. They don't talk much about his death, about his resurrection, about him being the, the, the only way to enter into the kingdom of God. Instead of that, they think about the kingdom of God more in terms of social transformation. That we're here, the, that what we're called to do, our mandate as a church is to transform culture and to transform society, to eradicate poverty, to eradicate injustice. My friends, let's be very clear. We should fight and, and work against injustice. We should fight and work against poverty. We should try to live lives that transform culture. There's no question about that. But that is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not just the, the eradication of poverty or the eradication of injustice. Because you could still have a society that is not poor and just and still not have the kingdom of God. The reign of God is only through Jesus. The reign of God is connected with the message of salvation that calls people to respond to Christ by repentance and faith. Only in that way, people can be renewed from the inside out and then live lives that truly transform society. Some focus only on Jesus without talking about the reign of God. There are people today who want to experience God's salvation through Jesus, but they don't like to talk about God's reign. They don't want to talk about God actually having a, a dominion over us. They like the idea of being saved from our sins through Christ, but they don't like to talk about coming under the right submission to God, a submission that is not forced or done on a, out of duty, a submission that comes out of love, genuine love, a love that is with all our hearts, mind, and soul. Friends, we are reminded of how God triumphed over death and sin. It is by giving his, his Son as a sacrificial offering. If God reigned over death and sin by giving us His Son on the cross to die, why would we have a problem to submit to a God who sacrificially gave His Son? The Christian faith doesn't just bring us into a right access to heaven. The Christian faith brings us into the right submission to God. He reigns over us. Friends, I wonder this morning if you struggle as a Christian to keep these two elements of God's reign and Jesus' message, the message about Jesus, together. Do you prefer one or the other? Do you feel like you're, you're falling in one ditch or the other? The message of, that Paul preached that whole day and for the whole two years in Rome 
was a message about the kingdom of God and about Jesus Christ together. Notice the response of the people. That was point two, by the way. That was point two. Notice the response of the people. Look at verse 24. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Some were convinced, but others disbelieved. It's amazing that people could disbelieve even at the preaching of Paul. You think, you know, if anyone would really come to know the Lord under someone's ministry, preaching ministry, it'd be under Paul's preaching ministry, right? I mean, just think about it. If anyone would truly be overcome and overwhelmed by the truth of God is if they could really sit under the preaching of the Apostle Paul. It's humbling to know that even under Paul's ministry, some disbelieved. Actually, quite a few did. We're going to talk about it more next week when we're going to see how Paul connects their disbelief with the prophecy of Isaiah, the longest quotation in the entire book of Acts. We're going to look at that next week. But I want to close this message by reminding us that we have been challenged not only to look at Paul's approach, but also at Paul's content of what he spoke about. And there's a challenge for us to respond. There's a challenge for all of us to, to respond to Christ, to respond to this message. Looking around this room, and I wonder if, if there's someone here who has not yet responded to this message. I pray you would today. I pray you'd give credence and belief to what Paul has preached about, to what you have heard about this morning. Because when you hear and respond, God brings life into our souls. Friends, I pray that all of us this morning might be encouraged and challenged to pray the word, to preach the Word of God, to, ex- to seek to know how to explain it and expound it, and seek to challenge people to respond to it. May God bring people to know Himself. May God be honored through the positive response of His people. But I'll tell you what, the glory of God is not any more, any less diminished when people fail to respond. I just want you to know that. Even when people fail to respond, they still fulfill Scripture. The Word of God cannot fail. We're going to look at that more next week. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you are a God who calls us to yourself. Father, thank you that you are a God who came to reveal your reign and your dominion through your Son, Jesus, by giving him as a sacrificial lamb. Most gracious God, help us to see how beautiful and loving your dominion is. Help us see how how amazing and how sacrificial and loving your kingdom is. Help us understand that the king came to us and made us a kingdom by dying for us so that by our response to you, to him, we might be made part of your kingdom. Oh, Lord, we pray that your will be done, that your kingdom may come, and that your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. What a hope we have in Christ. Our